Welcome back to the Fraser Rice Podcast. Robert A. George is a member of the New York Daily News editorial board. He's been writing about New York and national issues for nearly two decades. In addition to his newspaper work, Robert regularly appears on MSNBC, CNN, Fox, and New York One. Robert has written for the conservative National Review, The Libertarian Reason, and The Huffington Post. He also sponsors his own group political culture blog called Ragged Thoughts. In addition, Robert occasionally moonlights as a stand-up comic and improviser. Robert, thanks for joining us. Glad to have you on. Uh, it's good to be here. Thank you very much for uh, having me on. Oh, this is terrific. Well, we are currently in unbelievably weird political times. and that's a, good, that's a good understatement. As one of the people who covers it on a daily basis and has to opine on the logic behind a lot of what's going on, it must be particularly difficult at your end. Uh, that is correct, especially when uh, I'm not quite sure if uh, logic is quite the word we want to use for what's going on uh, <laughs> in, our, in, our, in our current political circumstances. When we have people who are from New York who have been here for a very long time, watching Trump and his way of doing things is both uh, surprising and at the same time uh, very comfortable for the way he actually operates, both from his business empire and his media exploits and so on. How do the other politicians that have to deal with him and the other structures that are now trying to get used to his way of doing things uh, look at him at this point? That's a very trenchant question, because this past week, there's some inklings that uh, the way that politicians uh, are seeing and dealing with Trump could conceivably be coming to a, I won't say a breaking point, but at least a very brittle point. Uh, it goes without saying that, uh, that Trump completely and totally upended the, the political process uh, uh, over the last uh, year and, uh, let's say, year and a half, going back to his his debut announcement in June 2015. Uh, he, he, we, we had the Republican Party had what they thought was this, you know, this all-star lineup uh, running in the presidential contest. Uh, for, you know, former and current governors, uh, former and current senators, people who'd run for the presidency before. I mean, it was a very strong lineup, and the thought was, you know, whoever comes out of this is going to have a very strong competitive run to the White House. And then along comes Donald Trump. And with his very unconventional way in the debates and his ability to command media and the cable networks and so forth, completely upended that, you know, pushed aside your, your Jeb Bushes and your, uh, and your Scott Walkers and, and on and on and on and on. And so he then, you know, pulled the upset, maybe the upset of all possible upsets by beating Hillary Clinton. That put everybody on notice that, you know, this is somebody whose unconventional way with the media and, and dealing with people who had, you know, maybe the latest iteration of the, um, the, 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 the Reagan Democrat, the former Democrats who are now voting a Republican. Republican that realize that they have to deal with that, and his his use of social media and so forth is 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 something that they 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 have to deal with, and so. You've got these conventional Republicans, conventional uh, fiscal um, Republicans, who are basically kind of swallowing his plans for building the wall and building the, and infrastructure and so forth, even if they don't buy it, because they're afraid that uh, he, he'll start tweeting out something and targeting them, and they're going to have to deal with that back home. However, this past week, when you had a number of Republicans, particularly those in leadership positions, thrown on the defensive by trying to deal with his assertion that uh, former President Obama had wiretapped Trump Tower 
and you had both the leaders of the uh, the intelligence committees in both the Senate and the House uh, basically saying that there's no there's no evidence of that and basically refusing to defend the president. That I think kind of sent a signal that, that there's only so far that uh, the Republicans are going to go in defense of this new president. There's just some of his actions, some of his pronouncements on Twitter and in, in the public are just just go too far. And uh, and when there are some really important things that are on the table, such as uh, such as the, the health care reform, which looks like it's in serious trouble right now, and the budget, which um, even Republicans are pushing back on, uh, th- th- there's just only so much that, um, that these Republicans will st- will stick with before they start backing away from uh, from this president, who, by the way, Democrats are gleeful to re- to remind people he lost the popular vote. And while the Electoral College was important in terms of determining who the president of the United States is, to be effective, a president needs to have a certain level of basic popularity to get uh, his uh, policies through. Uh, on that point, uh, you know, the health care aspect, uh, which I think is where the rubber is really going to meet the road and maybe where we might see Trump have to, for lack of a better word, compromise uh, with with the uh, congressional leadership and so on, it, it, it scares me a little bit. Not just you know, not as a uh, Republican or someone who you know, is looking for good government and is not really seeing it at the moment. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm hoping that uh, there's some sort of uh, uh, some sort of vision on that, and it seems like it's not coming from Trump. He's got sort of a uh, uh, scorched earth approach to doing everything and. and and that that's frightening, especially for the many of the people who are uh, covered under Obamacare that might face a very different reality later. Uh, but also from the congressional side, where uh, even the CBO is looking at it and saying, well, you might have some savings here, but uh, what else are you trying to do? Uh, where do you see that hitting? Well, I mean, it's, you, you, you use the interesting phrase that the, the President Trump is going to have to compromise with the congressional leadership on the topic of health care. Uh, the interesting thing here is that, uh, I, in a way, uh, I, the, the president's instincts on the health care, I think, are actually closer to where um, the broad public is. And it's the Republican leadership or re- Republicans, congressional Republicans, are going to have to make some kind of a compromise amongst themselves really, because the the president has said that he wants to uh, insure more people at at lower costs and giving them better health care. Now, if anybody who's actually studied health care uh, knows that, that, that getting all three of those things are basically going to be impossible, but the, 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 uh, the, the, the plan that the Republican leadership has so far put forward um, is, is, getting, is getting shellacked from all sides because you've got um, Democrats Democrats who obviously uh, who point out that uh, that it's uh, that there are a lot of people who are going to left be left uninsured, and they've got the CBO um, numbers to back that up. And by the way, um, there were numbers that were leaked out of the White House, um, uh, which sound, seems like it came from people close to the president uh, that, that suggests that, that the numbers that they have um, are even larger in terms of the people who would be left uninsured here. So. 
I, I think that President Trump, if he had his druthers, would prefer to, to drop the AHCA, uh, the American Health Care Act, uh, and and try and figure out something else that's going to end up at least uh, have a have a fig leaf of uh, of covering more people than uh, what's currently on the table. I was going to say, hopefully, the fig leaf is large enough for them that they that they last two years from now. Uh, I mean, it, it strikes me that that making a Making a big mistake on the health care reform to the extent that they can do it, I mean, you, you've got swing voter margins in the states that Trump won that aren't that large, uh, and and that that could that could cause that could cause issues. Well, well, that's right, and, and it's 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 particularly significant because uh, a number of people have, have pointed this out that the the irony is the, the, the Democrats, not surprisingly, uh, you know, oppose um, this this new plan, you know, because it's a dismantling of of the of the ACA of of, of Obamacare. So that's not so surprising. But uh, independent analysts, uh, analysts have pointed out that the irony is that the the, the people who end up worse off under uh, the AHCA um, are people who are in states that, um, that Trump won. And, uh, and some of the people who live in the blue states, the remaining blue states that, that Hillary Clinton won, they uh, end up either, if, if not better off, um, slightly less, uh, less worse off than, um, than some of the Trump voters. So, so that's, that's tough, certainly, for, um, for, uh, for President Trump's um, uh, possibilities down, down the road. And it certainly puts um, Republicans who are on the ballot uh, in 2018 in a very tough spot. No question about it. To pivot to another interesting Trump tactic, or maybe a Jeff Sessions tactic, uh, Pre Pereira uh, was fired to a rousing standing ovation <laughs> here in New York, which a lot of us who follow his exploits and, and his uh, his use of the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office to uh, either clean up certain things or otherwise pursue justice uh, looked at that as as an interesting tactic. Not only because it seemed like he was uh, you know extremely qualified and getting a lot of different results. Uh, but it also you know, represented a real walk back in terms of a uh, at least a ceasefire that Trump and Pereira seem to have. Uh, where, where do you make on that? And do you think there are any sort of things in the background that are working on this? Uh, and, you know, uh, Mayor de Blasio is seen as a big winner in this. Uh, Governor Cuomo is seen as a big winner in this, as Barrera was targeting both of them for various uh, issues. Uh, is there some sort of uh, uh, horse trading going on, uh, or is this strictly a uh, you know put our own people in and let it move let it move on? In general, presidents will will sweep away the U.S. attorneys um, when they come into office or shortly thereafter. Um, Bill Clinton did that in in 1993. George W. Bush did that in 2000. Barack Obama took a little bit longer. He took a few months, but he eventually cleared everybody out and put his people in. So, and in fact. Uh, of the 93 uh, U.S. attorneys, uh, uh, half of them, 47, had already um, handed in their resignations beforehand. So the fact that they were being cleaned out in and of itself is not surprising. The, the wild card in this was that uh, that um, uh, Donald Trump, uh, when he was still uh, president-elect, had uh, summoned um, Pre 
Barrara to Trump Tower, and they'd had a nice sit-down, apparently at the request of, um, of Chuck Schumer, who uh, Preet Barrara was his uh, chief counsel um, for, for many years before he, uh, he got the, uh, the, uh, the USA job. And the president said, uh, you know, I'd like you to stick around, and uh, Barrara accepted. So the fact that he was included in this group surprised the people, uh, not the least of which um, um, Barrara was one. So the people who are looking at the tea leaves, reading the tea leaves, think that at some point over the last uh, several weeks, whatever detente had existed between um, President Trump and Senator Schumer um, fell apart. Um, it may be that uh, because um, Schumer initially uh, agreed to approve, uh, not agreed, but was approving uh, a, a number of uh, Trump cabinet picks, and then he started to respond to some of the pressure uh, from the Democratic base, where they basically said that they, they did not want to want any, they, they, they wanted uh, um, votes against all of Trump's nominees, and uh, you, you could see that um, that Schumer's rhetoric against uh, the, the, the cabinet picks started to increase as more and more came up for votes. And Trump may have finally decided, okay, you, you know, I, I I agreed to you know keep, you know, keep your boy um, Barrara in, but if that's if that's the way it's going to be played, I'm sweeping him out with the rest of them as well. And so that may very well be where we ended up because just you know we're talking Washington D.C., we're talking politics, and uh, and it looks like. Barrara may have been a, an innocent casualty of, of this, and um, Bill de Blasio and, and uh, Andrew Cuomo may have been some uh, not-so-innocent beneficiaries, <laughs> beneficiaries out of all of this. Possibly unintended beneficiaries if Trump really didn't think it through that far. I mean, I, I will say this. Given how quickly the acting uh, U.S. attorney, uh, June Kim, uh, came out with his announcement, and which was also corroborated by um, by Cy Vance, who was running a separate investigation into Bill, into Bill de Blasio, given how quickly they came out with those with, with those statements, it's. It, I think it's. I think it's safe to say that um, that that's basically where Barrara was was going to be ending up uh, anyway. Uh, it was. Uh, they they would not have been you know completely you know shutting down the investigation that quickly and saying oh we've got a clean bill of health unless that's what basically where the investigation had already been concluded. So Preet looks like he's got a lot of spare time right now. Uh, what do you think his aspirations are? I, I think it's uh, sort of goes without saying you could go hook up with a law firm for a while. Uh, but he seems to have a uh, political angle to him and, and understands the game well. Uh, there aren't a whole lot of slots in New York state politics that would portend a run, but uh, that would something that seemed to be interesting. Where, where do you think he goes from here? In normal circumstances, you would say the sky's the limit. But uh, when you're when you're in this very this very very blue state um, with many many uh, ambitious and amb- ambitious in- individuals and a very narrow choice of um, of statewide and and other um, and other official uh, other slots uh, available, it's going to be tough to to say. Uh, right now, uh, most people expect um, Governor Cuomo to uh, run for re-election in 2018. There is a possibility, I guess, that if uh, Cuomo decided to run for president and then uh, and, and decide not to run for re-election in 2018, Barrara might take a look at that. 
You've also got other people who are, have presidential ambitions, like uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, for example. If she decided to make a run for it and then won, there'd be a Senate seat open up there. I mean, those are two thoughts. But if neither of those presidential ambitions play out, um, it's going to be. I think it's going to be a, l- a little while before Mubarak. Because I mean, I can't see after having had such a prominent role as uh, as U.S. attorney, I'm not sure if a House seat would be quite big enough to contain um, uh, Mr. Barrara's ambition. So uh, to use his favorite phrase, I'll just have to say, stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the other thing it guarantees is that the, as you tweeted and, and have posted before, the plot line for season two of Billions is, is wrecked. Uh, <laughs> but I guess what it exactly does, right. I guess what it does do is that it, uh, it ensures a season three and season four for, for, so for, so for fans of the show like me, that's great. Yeah, that that is quite true. That is absolutely that is absolutely the case. So to steer over to uh, someone else we mentioned a bit, uh, Andrew Cuomo, uh, he has uh, you know the the pre Perara component uh, seems to have evaporated, and uh, you know by all accounts he's doing a lot of different things, good things, uh, some things that are controversial, uh, and he's mentioned as as one of the possible saviors of the Democratic Party in a couple of years or a few years. Where do you see his trajectory at this point? The sky seems to be the limit. Well, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, the big news we had yesterday, obviously, was that the Mayor de Blasio had dodged the bullet. I'm not going to use the phrase vindicated because the <laughs> press releases from both uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office and from District Attorney Cy Vance's were that uh, they were the printed form of James Comey's press conference a year ago when he um, exonerated Hillary Clinton. I mean, they were about as slashing and critical of uh, Bill de Blasio's fundraising efforts and intent to get around uh, New York's campaign fundraising laws as could be without actually being criminal. So that, that, that got the big news. But the other point is that um, you, you have individuals who are very close to the governor that are already under indictment, that are, are still preparing. There's still a trial um, coming up for people like Joe, Joe Prococo and, and these other people involved in this Buffalo Billions project. So I think the governor has far less to be able to crow about than um, than the mayor does, because uh, we don't know exactly what's going to come out of this trial. And just as a good comparison, Chris Christie was not indicted in the Bridgegate scandal, but the actual trial of two of his subordinates and a third who actually pled guilty and then and then turned state's evidence really um, really really bloodied him up. I mean, his political fortunes had already completely deteriorated in New Jersey, but that trial that took place just a few months ago pushed his favorable numbers down into the teens, into the high teens. So nobody knows at this point what a trial, a potentially lengthy trial, um, is, is going to end up doing to um, Andrew Cuomo. I mean, he may end up not getting in, indicted himself, but if it looks like, uh, as, as, as was the case with, with, um, with Bridgegate, if it looks like coming out of this trial, there is an indictment of the culture that allowed the, this um, Buffalo Billion scandal to develop and allowed Joe Prococo to sort of kind of run wild in, in terms of, 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 of accepting bribes and frauds and things like that, that's not exactly 
exactly what somebody wants um, to come out when they're A, planning on running for re-election, and B, potentially um, planning on running for president. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, uh, uh, I'm going to kind of hold off on, on say, oh, you know, Andrew Cuomo's out of the woodwork. I'm, I'm not so sure about that yet. To circle back to Mayor de Blasio, he's got an election that's starting to come up in, uh, faster than we can see. And having, as you said, and I agree, dodged a bit of a bullet uh, in terms of the investigation and uh, into his fundraising and beyond, uh, it doesn't seem like there are uh, a whole bunch of natural suitors who are stepping in to the vacuum to try to to try to press him on reelection. Uh, do you see anybody out there who can take him on either at the primary or uh, maybe less likely at the Republican level? It's looking kind of pathetic all around right now, Frazier. Uh, again, you'd think that in a place like New York, an ambitious city like New York, there would be people who would want to step up. Now, it is true that on a couple of the on the big issues like crime, for example, Bill de Blasio has either been lucky or or good. Unlike some of the other big cities where there's been kind of a a, a slight blip increase in, over the last year, year and a half in terms of shootings and and murder. I mean, Chicago and Baltimore, obviously, being the most visible examples of that. The New York uh, crime tra- trajectory has continued down. It's uh, it's been uh, it's been one of the gr- it's been one of the great stories, you know, of the last uh, of the last few decades. Uh, that uh, that that uh, the crime is the crime, particularly violent crime, has continued to go down. So if if you're uh, and given that Bill De Blasio um, worked in the David Dinkins administration, that was one of the first sensitive and most prominent things in his mind when he took the job. And and so first he was very smart when he. He, he picked um, Bill Bratton as his first uh, police commissioner, and Jimmy O'Neill has been able to you know, pick up the reins you know, without missing a beat. So on that big issue, he's okay. There are, no, there are things on the school front where people like my editorial board and the New York Post editorial board and others are going to quibble with certain numbers, but those numbers can be crunched in enough for the mayor to make the claim that you know, he's done a, uh, an okay job. He's done an okay job on the schools as well. Now, now there are some big issues that are still out there, like the uh, the ongoing homeless crisis uh, is one sticking point where the mayor has a lot of explaining to do, as the old saying goes. He tried, you know, for the second time to come up with a brand new policy to uh, to address the burgeoning homeless shelter issue. And his latest one said that, you know, he's he, he wants to install about 90 new shelters over the next several years in multiple neighborhoods and so forth. And uh, that's, that's a tough thing to push during a re-election year, especially since there's been uh, a lot of pushback on that uh, when they tried to open up shelters in places in Queens and so forth. And while the shelter issue is one aspect of the homeless, the street homeless is an aspect of the problem that the mayor barely talks about. Just generally talking to people, just regular New Yorkers, often very liberal New Yorkers, you, if you start talking to them or if you just notice their reaction when uh, when homeless individuals end up you know, taking over uh, half of a subway train car um, when they come in with all the junk and, and, and so forth, and you just see the, the, the basic reaction of, of, of some people, that's a soft spot there. The, the issue is, though, 
Is there a New York City politician who wants to step up and, and challenge the mayor on this and a couple of other um, potential quality of, quality of life issues? I, I, I'm not seeing it yet. I mean, there are there are people who should be out there who should be ready to try and um, you know make a run, even though they realize it's uh, it would be a difficult one. But uh, so far, there's not a whole lot of boldness. Um, you've got a number of Republicans out there who are talking about it. Um, the businessman Paul Massey has been doing a good job in terms of raising money, but he's somebody who also has to be brought up to speed on the issues and figuring out how to how to challenge uh, De Blasio in a, in a specific way beyond just um, going after him on on ethics and fundraising, which has been his um, his major tax so far. Um, and you've got um, Councilman Eric Ulrich, uh, who's who's talking about it at least. Uh, I guess Bishop Michael Faulkner is uh, African American, uh, former football player, who's out there. If a real challenge comes to the Bill De Blasio, it's going to have to come in the primary. And um, so far, um, you had a lot of people who were kind of waiting around for a potential indictment and now now that that's not happening you'll have to say have to just say uh, you know whether they want to um, roll the dice and, uh, and and challenge a semi-popular mayor because even if you talk to a, a number of basically liberal New Yorkers there aren't a lot of people who who adore Bill de Blasio in in the way that some Democrats uh, still adore uh, former President Obama for example he doesn't make their hearts sing in in quite that way <laughs> great stuff uh, Robert thanks a a lot for coming on. Unique insight to be sure. What's the best way to keep in touch with your writing and to follow your exploits? Well, I am at the New York Daily News, uh, so you may end up seeing some of my writing on some of the unsigned editorials. So you may not, you may, you may or may not know if I'm writing those. Um, but I do have an occasional column in the uh, in the uh, in the Daily News, so you can always go to nydailynews.com and find me there. And as you mentioned before, I I, I am known to, uh, to to tweet occasionally on the on the Twitters, and you can just find me there um, at, at at Rob George. Excellent, Robert. Thanks again for coming on. All right. Thanks a lot, Fraser. It was a real pleasure. Thanks again for joining us on the Fraser Rice Podcast. You've been listening to my conversation with Robert A. George, a member of the New York Daily News editorial board. If you go to FraserRice.com, you can check out the archive of podcasts that we've been amassing over the last couple of months. Additionally, we should have new episodes coming out in a short time. Thank you very much and talk to you soon.